You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. What's up, guys, man? Guys, how powerful was that worship? Can we give it up for the worship band? Like... Like to be in such an atmosphere of worship is just incredible, like to get how deep we get. And I just want to shout out to Pastor Jackson, wherever he went, there he is. Can we give it up for Pastor Jackson too and Miss Haley for, man, I just, we love you students so much. Like as your leaders, it is so cool to see what God is doing through you all, through New Song students. Like yes, we're growing in numbers, we're growing wider, but we're growing deeper just as much, if not more. And that is what we want out of youth ministry is to see you guys diving deeper, growing more. Um, And so we know that when you dive, whoopsie, sorry. (laughs) Also apologize, I'm not in my cool clothes. I just came from work. Thanks, Rose. Um, Okay, so guys, we've been in week two of what? What's the series we're in? Growing pains, right? And I love the picture that Pastor Jackson painted last week as we dove into this series. And I'm a big fan of these types of series, no pain, no gain. As we look about when we want to mature in Christ, there is so much more for us than whenever we just raise our hand, give our lives to Jesus. Most people, like, that's all they do. They never grow. That's just the beginning. When you raise that hand and say, yes, God, I wanna follow you, that is the beginning of a whole new life, a life of joy, a life of purpose, of passion. But we know that that comes with growth, right? It comes with a little bit of uncomfortability, a little bit of pain. So I love the pictures that Pastor Jackson showed last week. So I'm gonna show some pictures of what I like to think of no pain, no gain, but in so many different areas. So there's quite a few pictures and there might be a couple videos because I love sports, if you guys didn't know that. So the first picture I have is what do we look like whenever we're little kids, little goobers. Who's seen Little Giants? That's such a good movie. So when we're not only as kids, when we're little tiny and skinny and we don't have much muscle or meat on our bones, but it's the same way in our faith, right? Whenever we give our lives to Christ, we kind of look like him. You know? Let me see. So... How do we get from this little guy to this guy? Who knows who that is? The Rock. You know, I could have showed a picture of Johnny. I could have showed a picture of Garris or of Andrew. But I just look at the muscles on The Rock, man. He's literally a rock. So I know a lot of us like sports, right? We love getting in the gym. We love putting muscle on. Takes a lot of pain and uncomfortability. But What are other areas where we know that you have to put in effort? You have to work in order to get better and go through that uncomfortability. What do we got? Who knows how to play the guitar? Raise your hand. We got Annalise, Pastor Jackson, Johnny, Hannah, yeah. So also, I wanna shout out Annalisa because when we were in Mexico for our mission trip, she didn't play the guitar for like a couple years, right? And who knows, whenever you play guitar consistently and well, your fingers kind of start to look like this. You see those calluses? So every single morning, whenever we were getting ready to do worship with the team, out here say like, oh man, like my fingers, like they're really hurting because you hadn't played in so long. And as you play more, those calluses form to where when you play so much and so often, it doesn't hurt anymore, but you can tell they play guitar because of those calluses, right? 
So shout out to Annalisa D. Caleb, everybody that plays the guitar. Um, but not just calluses on your fingers from the guitar. What else can you get, cal- where else can you get calluses? All over your hands, because I know we have some gymnasts in here. Avery, where's Avery? Lily, I know the Stemkeys aren't here, Lily too. So you get the calluses from gymnastics. Also, I know Oliver's not here, but also when you do what? Rock climb. So yeah, rock climb, and then there's a gymnastics picture too. But who knows, who's seen Free Solo? That is the, one of the most intense documentary slash movies you'll ever watch. He climbed the tallest like face of Yosemite, one of the tallest in the world without any rope. He is literally, he doesn't have anything attached to him. So if he slips, he's dead. So how many know he's probably got a ton of calluses on his hand. He has gone through the pain and uncomfort to be able to do something like that. All right, but now... What about things that we don't really see externally, right? We don't see it on our physical bodies. I love this picture of, it's like an artist tossing up the dishes, right? How many of you have seen this picture before? So it's really cool. So when I think about an artist, right? When I think about um, somebody who's wanting to grow in something creative, right? Video games. I know we got some gamers in the room. Where's Tristan? Tristan is really into game. I played Fortnite for the first time with Tristan. And I made a big joke because like he wins all the time and I've never played before. Who's ever played Fortnite? Raise your hand. So I, I didn't know how it worked. And so when he goes in there, he's like, all right, I'm going to go knock some people out. And I get up there and I'm like, I'm just trying to hide. Where, point me where to go hide so I can let everybody kill themselves and then I'll be the one that wins. And then he was killed, I think, in the first 10 people. I went and hid like behind a little bush or like a little like shack and I made it to the top 20. That's really random. But anyways, so I think about this picture, right, with art, with video games. How many times, look at all those broken dishes, How many times do we fail? How many times do we go through discouragement and pain? How many times do we walk through frustration, but after that consistency, everybody sees perfect juggling, right? They see the end result without ever seeing the behind the scenes, the true work that went into it. And so not only that, but I know because you guys are in school, you're students, you guys have probably done a little bit of this, trying to cram the night before a quiz or a test or homework that's due the next day and you're just frustrated. But that's like a big picture for me is like life right here. Like life is about learning, it's about growth and whenever you get to that point where you've crammed and you've actually learned not just to get by but actually digested and meditated on the word of God, yes, we do see graduation. Everybody's moving on to the next step in life, and whether that can be trade school, electrical, plumbing, college, whatever that might be, that you guys are able to prepare for life. And so here's my video. Okay, so who's seen the movie Miracle? Okay, <laughs> only a couple of people. So who here just likes any sports, any sports at all? I love sports, I love playing sports, watching sports, so Miracle on Ice, if you haven't seen it, it's a Disney movie, so you can go watch it on Disney+. Plus. It is the biggest Cinderella story Ever, the biggest underdog. So basically what happened was it's U.S. hockey in 1980. These guys, if you were a professional, you couldn't compete in the Olympics. You had to be fresh out of college and amateur, right? And so, but other countries didn't necessarily have that rule. And so the Soviets from Russia, they had won the gold medal in 1964, 68, 72, 76. These guys were essentially undefeated, the best in the world at what they did, while the U.S. was the laughingstock of hockey. So this coach comes in to the U.S. hockey team and he thinks somehow we can beat the Russians, 
right? The whole goal is just not to embarrass ourselves, but he thinks that we could take down four defending gold medals, the Soviets. So, but how many of y'all know that's probably not an easy task? So basically what happens is in their first exhibition game, they basically, the players are not bought in. They're not invested. They don't really care. Like during the game, there's a couple dudes talking about, oh, there's a cute girl in the stands. Maybe I should go ask her out. A couple guys are like just not paying attention. So coach sees this. He's not a happy camper. So what we're about to watch is what happens directly after the game. Have y'all ever done sprints before? Not fun, right? So imagine doing sprints after a game. So let's just see. Let's take a look. Again. Okay, we're getting out of here. Hey, where are you going? Back on the line. Again. Send them. one to quit on me? How about you, O.C.? You ready to go down? I think I got my money on you, Mercota. Of course, you got a hot date in about an hour, but you're not looking too good for that right about now, are you? Send them. Again. Common men go nowhere. You have to be uncommon. Oh my gosh. Do you, do you guys want to do something like that? I do not. That was probably terrifying to go through that much pain. But how many of us know there's a happy ending to it, right? That the work that they put in, as much as they suffered, as much as they were just tearing their bodies apart, they ended up going to the Olympics and they were playing the Soviets in the medal round to get to the championship, but they had to play the number one team. And so, real quick, we'll just jump back in and see what happened when they actually played the Soviets. Over the blue line to Malchev. Fighting for possession. Marlow trying to get it away from Harlemov along the board. Again, coming to you from the Olympic ice arena. Come on, baby. The U.S. huge underdogs. Leading the Soviet Union. Johnson over to Ramsey. Leading it left the Checked by Ramsey. But Gladahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds.
so good. So the U.S. essentially beat Russia and went on to win the gold medal in 1980. How crazy is that? So they called that literally like 10,000 to one odds that that would have happened, and they pulled it off, right? But we see the grind. We see what went into it to get to that point. And so when we think about no pain, no gain, I love how we, we touched on that in John 16:33 of in this world, you will have trouble, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. And so guys, you're going to face trouble in this world. That is a promise. That is what we touched on last week. And these troubles, they, like, I can't, I can't tell you, like, one of my favorite quotes is, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. Yeah. Think about that. If we can do something now, while we're young, in middle school, in high school, when we get to those storms, those valleys, those seasons, later down in life, we will have matured in Christ to where we know how to walk through this, right? We won't, we won't just react. So how many of us know the difference between reacting versus responding? So whenever somebody, say I'm like super sensitive, maybe I'm super immature, super um, just very angry, right? Very just, I get frustrated so quickly and somebody offends me or somebody disses me or somebody at high school just like, you know, messes around and I just get so fed up and I react, I get myself in trouble, I maybe degrade somebody, I continue in the gossip. How many of us know that's not the way to live, right? Jesus, God calls us to respond, you look at Jesus and how many times he was walking through life and things would come at him out of nowhere and he would almost have this peace. He would have this ability to respond, take his time, think through it and actually make a sound and wise decision. That's not just for Jesus, that's for us as well, right? And so when we have that faith in Christ, when we have grown in our relationship with him, when we've allowed him to move in our hearts, to grow us, to change us, to fix our thoughts, we don't have to fear because we know that our foundation has been built on solid rock, right? And not sinking sand. We won't be able to be shaken because we know who we are and whose we are, our identity in Christ. But right, this perspective, right, this mindset, these truths, they don't just, you don't just hear this one time and be like, all right, I'm good. It is a lifelong journey, right? And so I'm gonna share my story with you guys later on tonight. We're about to get real. Is it okay if we get real? We're, we're going there. Um, but so as we jump into week two here, my message title for tonight is The Invitation. The Invitation, right? And so what we're focusing on tonight is the pain of conviction and confession. Conviction and confession. And another word for that is repentance. So let's start with the pain of conviction. So what is the definition, right? What is conviction? So conviction is the act of knowing an error has been made and being compelled to admit the error. And that can happen multiple ways, right? That can either be um, from being in a moment of worship in the word and God reminds us or somebody else might call us out or we might even recognize it ourselves, right? Oh, first, I want us to pray before we get into this message real quick. Father, thank you so much for tonight, Father, for who you are, God. God, I pray that 
tonight. Let it be filled with your truth, God, your love, your wisdom. Let our students be leaned into what you have to share, um, that it may change their lives, change their perspectives, God. God, I pray it is less of me and more of you. God, we make room for you. We invite you in to speak to the hearts of every person in this room, that they might hear and meditate on what you have to say. And it's in your Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, conviction, right? And it's when we know that we've messed up. We know we've sinned. We know we've been prideful. We know we've been selfish. When we have gossiped, when we have judged others, when we have lied, when we have cheated, when we've been sexually impure, when we haven't done what Jesus would want us to do. I love those bracelets. What would Jesus do? When we haven't done what Jesus would want us to do, and we can feel that conviction. Oftentimes we recognize it and we feel distressed, we feel bummed, we feel sad, and that's real, right? And so one thing I want you guys to recognize is whenever you have those moments as a believer in Christ, that that conviction is a sign that you care. Because what I'm gonna share with you guys about my story is there was a period of life before I became a believer in Christ when I would be stupid and be sinning and I just wouldn't care because the world was doing it. They said that was normal. So I just really didn't have any conviction. But when you have the conviction, when you know the truth, you know the life that comes with truth and we fall short, there's the conviction of saying, man, this matters. This matters to me. It matters to my youth leader. It matters to my parents. It matters to my pastor. And if it matters to me, it matters to God. And if it matters to God, it should matter to me. And so where we're gonna look um, is many times I realize whenever Christians get into this moment of conviction, that's where the choice is made. We can either choose to say, ah, whatever, disregard it, I don't care, everybody's imperfect, nobody's perfect, and no, we're not perfect, we never will be, but there is a choice, and God loves you so much where you're at. He loves you so much, but he loves you too much for you to stay there. Think about that. He loves you so much where you're at, but he loves you too much for you to stay there. And I love this picture of a flower, right? A flower, a tree, it's either growing or it's what? Dying, right? It's one or the other, drying, dying. So, but think about that. And we are called to grow. And so, whenever, what we're gonna look at is in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse nine through 11. And so, essentially what is happening here is Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthian church. So basically, there had been a season where the church had gone astray, right? They had had imperfections. They were starting to stray in their beliefs. They were starting to commit sins in the church. And so Paul is wanting to call them out on it. He's wanting to help convict them, to correct them, right? And so what we're gonna look at is the church at this point has turned. They said, okay, he's right. Let us get back on track and fix what has gone wrong. And so this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church once this has all happened. So it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 through 11, uh, it says, you let the distress, so him talking to the church, you let this distress bring you to God, not drive you from him. The result was all gain and no loss. Distress that drives us to God, it does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets. They, fight, they end up on a deathbed of regrets. And now isn't it wonderful all the ways in which the distress has brought you closer to God? You're more alive. You are more concerned. You are more sensitive. You're more reverent. You're more human, more passionate, more responsible. Looked at from any angle, you have come out of this with a purity 
of heart. That is like huge, guys. I want us to hold on to that. When we feel the conviction and have that choice of going either to God or away from God, we see it very clear, black and white here, that when we go to God, that that is the winning that we see. That's the muscles being developed, the chords being able to be played, the gold medal being won. We have that maturity in Christ because in the conviction, we chose to turn to God. And so those moments when we feel convicted and we recognize what we have done, when we have sinned, God is not pointing the finger and shaming you. I want you guys to know the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is from the enemy. That's him saying, look at how miserable you are. Look at what a failure you are. You are not perfect. You will never be perfect. You don't belong in heaven. How could God love you? That's condemnation. Those are the lies that we believe in our heads so many times. But conviction is the invitation. Conviction is the Holy Spirit saying, knocking on your heart saying, hey, I want you to come back. Think about those moments whenever, have you guys ever been invited to something really cool? Like a birthday party or an event or some cool thing. I get so pumped when we get an invitation to a wedding. We get to go celebrate friends that we dearly love. It is so exciting. So whenever we are convicted, let us have that perspective, the eyes that say, man, this is an invitation to restore my relationship with God. It is an invitation to realign my heart with his. And how do we do that? So how we do that is the second pain that we'll be touching on tonight, and that is the pain of confession. So confession, right? Let's dive into what that is. Confession is the formal statement of admitting guilt of the error. So it's the formal statement of admitting that guilt to say, yeah, that's true. I did mess up, I did fall short, I did sin. And so we may feel that conviction, the invitation, and we choose, we can deny it or avoid it, that it might be the comfortable choice. How many of us know we love being comfortable? We live in a society where comfort is the priority. We wanna be able to sleep in. We wanna be able to eat fast food. We wanna be able to not, you know, have to put on, like, what, you guys get what I'm saying? Yes, and so, God more often than not, can I tell you guys this, God more often than not, whenever we choose to avoid it or just not really do anything with it, God more often than not won't move in the areas that we don't give him access to. So we have that choice. If we have all of these struggles or things that we're walking through and brokenness that we're dealing with, God wants to move in those areas. But how oftentimes do we have that control and we wanna do it on our own, and it's just end up in this cycle of over and over and over. And so, life begins where your comfort zone ends. So that's where we have to realize, when we're talking about maturity in Christ, when we're talking about truly growing, there's a step that has to be taken, calling us out to the deeper water, where we can't control it. And so, Proverbs 28, 13, it says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. And I love that we said that in the worship song tonight over and over and over and over again. Every single morning, his mercies are new. And then if you look at uh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us all from the unrighteousness. And so when we confess our sins to God and we ask for forgiveness, we know that he'll always come through. He'll always forgive us, but it doesn't stop there, right? 
Me and Ashley were talking about this last night. When we confess our sins to God, when we voice it in our mouth, either in prayer or, or in our hearts, we know that God will forgive us, and that's incredible, but there's another level. There's another step. And how many of us wanna take that next level? We wanna take that next step to actually see the fruit of that growth. Yeah, yeah. And so that next one, so James 5, 16, I know we touched on this before, but confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, what's that word? Healed. The honest prayer of someone walking right with God has great power and produces wonderful results. Guys, we are stronger when we are together. And so that's kind of what I wanna share with you guys is what did that look like in my life? So I'm gonna share uh, probably the biggest story for me when it comes to conviction and confession and the pain of walking through that. Hold on, I'm gonna need some water. Woo! You guys are dope, man. All right, so. So. How many of us have ever heard of sex? <laughs> um, so in fifth grade, right, I am so thankful for my parents, my mom and dad. They were incredible parents. I was blessed. They taught us how to do, sorry, to do the right thing, to love, to live, to work hard, to you know, be surrounded by great family, great friends. But when it came to hard conversations, when it came to controversial conversations, tough things to talk about, it was kind of the expected you know, you know what the right thing is, we're not gonna talk about it. So when it came to about eight years old, nine years old, I had gotten the birds and the bees talk, I knew what sex was, and that you do it when you get married. And I was like, all right, cool, whatever. Um, but how many of us know there's so much more to it, the design of what sex is, that God created it to be the most beautiful, most powerful, most unifying way a husband and wife can be so tightly knit and closely together, right? That it establishes the covenant of marriage, right? And it's so life-giving. And I love this, this analogy that it's like fire, right? When it's controlled in the right space, it brings warmth, it brings life, and it's fun. And it's made, obviously we know for reproduction, but that's in God's controlled environment, right? And how many of us know the enemy cannot create, he can only manipulate, and so I think one of the biggest areas of our faith, of our lives that the enemy is working in right now is in our sexuality, in the church, in the world, right? He's manipulating the beautiful gift that God's given us and twisted it to be something completely damaging where that fire, when it's not controlled, kills people, it burns houses down, it totally destroys and can I be real with you guys? Like when we talk about these pains that we're walking through, that we're growing in our maturity, Churches have fallen apart. People have been arrested. People have lost their jobs. Divorce happens. Like we see all of these things as a result of the enemy being able to manipulate what God has given us. And so that's what happened to me. So I was in fifth grade at a buddy's house. And so I had known what sex was. I was about to start puberty. And I'm at a buddy's house till about 2 a.m. for a sleepover. And we're on his laptop. And sure enough, we start looking at things we shouldn't. And obviously, God designed it to be attractive, right? Like, it's good, but not when it's in the wrong, when it's out of the wrong space. And so in that moment, what started out as just that single moment of, of rebellion, of sin, quickly turned into an addiction for me. 
I went, like what started out in fifth, sixth grade, I would, you know, sneak away on my dad's computer, you know, late at night when I know they were asleep and I would go look at stuff online I wasn't supposed to. And what's turned, what went from a few weeks turned into every single day in middle school. I know you guys are in middle school and high school. I know y'all are not naive. So we're gonna talk about it. Is that cool? So middle school, I become addicted. It's like every day. And it's hard to have conviction when I don't have a relationship with Jesus and I don't know the truth. I don't know the damage that this is doing into my mind. Like literally it is reshaping how I think about women. Like every time I'm at school, I'm objectifying them in my mind. And that is unhealthy. I'm not even thinking about them being sisters in Christ. All I'm thinking about is, man, everybody does this. They look at stuff and that's how it is. So as I got into high school, my sophomore year, I got a girl, I had a girlfriend and it was a terribly unhealthy, broken relationship and I'm walking through this addiction at the same time and it is just a mess. And so how many of us know that God, he works all things out for the good of those who love him? So I loved him, I loved God, we went to church all the time, but I didn't have that relationship with Christ, but it's so crazy how God can take something that's completely out of your control and use it for your benefit. And I didn't even know what was going on. So essentially what happened was the island that we were living on, the refinery that my dad worked at shut down. And we decided, we're moving to Edmond, Oklahoma. I didn't even know what Edmond, where Edmond was. I thought Edmond was like a small, tiny town, like uh, Cashin or something. Where are my Cashin Wildcats at? We got one, Ryder, yeah? So, so basically I come to Edmond my junior year of high school and I still don't have a relationship with Christ and I'm so nervous about going to Edmond Santa Fe because I'm going from a high school of 100 kids to 2,200. That's a big jump. And so me and my sister, we are walking through the halls of Santa Fe the week before school starts and we're like, all right, we gotta get the lay of the land, figure out where our classes are so we're not the weird you know, kids that come in and we're all lost, you know. And so we come to the gym and there's a volleyball practice going on. My sister and I played volleyball on St. Croix and her name's Kaleo Kanahili. And she literally invites herself up to us, says, hey, how are you guys doing? Where are you from? So nice to meet you. What are you guys doing on Wednesday? And we're like, nothing, we're new here. We don't even know where McDonald's is. And they say, well, come to youth. And we're like, What's youth? And they say, oh, it's a night where all the middle school and high school students, we get together for worship to listen to a great message from our youth pastor, play games, have fun. It's a blast. So like, let's do this. And so we go to youth that night, August 2012, I gave my life to Christ. I was like, man, what a beautiful life of joy and purpose this is that I've been missing out on. I want to be a part of this. So I raised my hand, right? I gave my life to Christ. I was stoked, stoked out of this world. But how many of us know our God is a God of process. He's a God of journey. And so that addiction that I had, when we talk about like, what is the one thing that you're walking through? What is the one thing you're dealing with that you need prayer for? For me, that was my sexual purity, my addiction. And so junior year of high school, gave my life to Christ. And when we talk about conviction, I started to feel that conviction. But when we talk about Romans 12, two of conforming your mind, right? Not to the ways of this world, but to God's word. It was a difficult, difficult road. All through high school, junior year of high school, senior year of high school, freshman year, I was kind of putting on this mask that like, yeah, I was serving. Yeah, I was getting you know, involved in high school, doing these Bible studies, whatever, growing in leadership, but that was my addiction that I really didn't want to confront. I felt the conviction, but I didn't want to confess it because one, 
I thought I was the only one dealing with it. Or two, like as an addiction, everybody else is saying that it's normal, so it would be uncool to talk about it. So I'm thinking about all these things are going through my head of why I shouldn't confess it, right? And so about senior year of high school, we're at camp. Who's all going to camp? Hey, we'll see you there. Um, In the Gaga Ball pit. I love Gaga Ball. So we're at small groups on that last night of camp, and it is probably 9 o'clock, 9.30 when they want us to start small group. And they say, all right, lights out at 11. So wrap up small groups at 10.30. Go ahead and head on to your dorms and then go to bed. We were in our room for small groups until 2 in the morning with our youth pastor. It was an extremely life-changing night where we felt compelled, right? We wanted to finally confess of what are we truly walking through that we haven't confessed, either to God or to each other. And so for me, that was my addiction. And so whenever I confessed that, my youth pastor, man, the love that he showed, the grace and mercy that he showed, the amount of peace I felt of knowing, man, God doesn't condemn me. He just convicts me and he's inviting me to restore what's been lost. He's inviting me to restore what's been broken. And so, but how many of us know that yes, that is a powerful moment, that's a powerful night, but there's still work to be done, right? I could have easily gone back home and been like, all right, whatever, I'm not gonna get in the word for a couple weeks or I'm not gonna pray, I'm not gonna get into worship, I'm not gonna do any of that, I'm just gonna go, go to Instagram. How many of us know social media is not a good outlet if you're trying to overcome purity? So, so basically through freshman year of college, sophomore year of college, it's like this battle that I'm in of like trying to be pure and walk in purity, confess it, but ah, man, I'm still addicted and still going back to this. And it was like I said, this endless cycle, right? I would go one week of not falling and then boom, the next two weeks every day I'm struggling. And the amount of shame and guilt that came of that, it's like, man, all right, maybe by, you know, 18, I'll, I'll have conquered this. By 20, I'll have conquered this. No, all right, by end of college, I'll have conquered this. And it was just failure after failure after failure. And so that is not fun, right? But how many of us know in that video that we saw, again, 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 keep going, keep striving. You are not perfect. And a book that Ashley's reading that I love, we talk about sin and how sin, many times we see it as our failure of trying to perform or earn our victory, our righteousness with God, when it's not about our perfection or our ability to perform and achieve. It is solely out of a pursuit of Christ that we are saying, man, I don't even want to think about sinning. I don't even want to like try, but where was I going with that? That when we sin, it's more of us just grieving. God's heart grieves when we sin. Think about that. Rather than thinking, oh man, I've sinned, I messed up, I'm a failure, knowing that, man, God has so much more for you. God wants so much more for you. And when we fall short, we're just missing out on what he has for us. And that invitation, that conviction, again, that invitation, he just keeps inviting us back over and over and over. And so basically, when we talk about confession, um, where it got real, where I actually started to see change was when I had my best friend, his name's Travis Cotton. You guys have probably heard me talk about him here and there. He is freshman year summer. He was going on this big Bible study mission thing and then came back to Stillwater. And me and him 
We both were in the same boat, working in purity, wanting to be a light in college, wanting to grow as men of God, to be the husbands that God's called us to be, the fathers that he's called us to be. And so, we're man, if we're gonna room together and we're gonna be serious about this and actually confess to each other what we're truly walking through consistently, we're going all in. So we took the doors off the hinges. Nothing hidden. Nothing is out of sight. If we had a girl over in the living room, or the backyard, everything has to be in sight. That's called accountability. So that confession, that pain, that it's not fun, it's not easy, but we are, if we are fully known and fully loved by God, think about that. He knows every thought you have, everything you've done, everything you're gonna do, and he still chooses you. He still says, I adore you, I love you. If that's how he loves us, we are called to do that with our friends. Fully known, fully loved, because to be fully known but not fully loved, that's, that's scary, right? We don't wanna be fully known but then people not love us. And then the switch, we, if we are fully loved but not fully known, that's fake, that's superficial. And we are called to be both. And so me and Travis, we made that commitment to each other of we are going to walk through everything together. So whenever there was a decision that we had to make or something that we did wrong, we were able to call each other out and be accountable and truly live out James 5, 16 to each other, confessing our sins to each other so that we may be healed. So that after the years of addiction, I can find healing, he can find healing. And so from Travis, I also had a mentor. You guys are called to have mentors in your life. So for mine, my mentor, his name is Brady. And he was one that challenged me with that truth of not trying to achieve purity, but pursuit of God's heart in my purity. And so now, even to this day, me and Ashley get to enjoy an undefiled marriage, and I'm so thankful for that because it is all God, his grace, his mercy, not on my own strength. Because if, if this was on my own strength, I probably wouldn't be married to Ashley, and I'd probably be in a lot worse of a situation than the beautiful life that God's blessed me with now. We get to enjoy marriage. We get to be excited about being parents that can have those conversations with our kids. And so even now, like, you don't just conquer sin and then everything's good, right? There is still the enemy, he's creative. He knows how to get back into your thoughts and, and wiggle his way in. And so my core group and I, even now to this day, we're like, man, if we know that this is every man's battle, then we're gonna walk through purity together. So we're going through like a DVD series that goes through the, the science behind the addiction to pornography. And it is so good to know this so that I can teach my son that we can teach other friends who are struggling. And that's not just with guys, girls, we know that this happens with you as well. So don't think, don't be naive, don't be foolish, because this applies to you as well. And so when we think about it at the end, conviction is the invitation to restore the relationship with God and when we've sinned. And then confession is how we do it, both to him and to others. And so no points for you all tonight, but I want you to guys see these questions that are on the screen and let these be the points in your mind. So first question is this, are you taking your relationship with God seriously? You can be honest. Like I said, God knows your thoughts, he knows your heart and chooses to love every part of you, so why not be honest, be real? Are you taking your relationship with Christ seriously? Because when you do, man, the amount 
of life change that happens in your life, the amount of fruit that happens in your life, even during the struggle. I love that that's what we focused on last week was even during the, even during the trials, even during the valley, even during the storm, we can rest knowing that God is on our side. That when we, he is our focus and we keep him at the center, we know that there's nothing but gain on the other side of this. So are you taking your relationship with God seriously? Question number two, are there areas of conviction that you have felt recently and you can feel God knocking on your heart, inviting you back to him? What are those areas of conviction? And then the third question is, what is something that you are needing to confess and gain healing from? And as we talked about from that one night when I was at camp, I love that that was such a pivotal moment, but that wasn't the whole story. It was continual growth. It was continual perseverance. It was continual, and again, I'm not perfect. I still had many faults and many stumbles, and I'm still having to make sure that my thoughts are pure, but knowing that it is only by his strength that I can do that in my weakness. And so, if it's something that you guys have that you're walking through that you want to bring up, but you don't feel comfortable talking about it in front of your entire small group, then when our altar ministries come up to the front, find an altar, find a leader that you trust. And I am inviting you guys to step out in faith to come because then you will be healed. And that's what we want for you guys is you guys to be able to go through middle school and high school and walk through these pains to where whenever, yes, Ben, you can come on up. You can beat me to it. Uh, um, that whenever you continue to come out of high school, come out of whatever you do after high school, then man, you are set up well to be the disciple that he's called you to be. That you can come be leaders with us and pour in to the next generation. So if I could have my leaders come on up and I'll go ahead and pray. Uh, so.